Hello and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson, and you are listening to the first episode of History on the Table. All right, let's kick this baby off. Uh, so, welcome to the very first episode of about a year-long thought project of mine, and that is, of course, History on the Table. Uh, yeah, for about the last year or so, I've been toying around with this idea of creating this podcast that examines the games of one of my favorite aspects of the board gaming hobby, which I feel is underrepresented, and that's wargaming. Uh, now I use wargaming in about as broad of term as possible. So what I really mean is any type of war game that is, or board game uh, that is simulating or, um, you know, brings to the table different military, political conflicts, wars, battles, or, or any kind of historical situations. So for terms of this podcast, would I take a look at Twilight Struggle? Absolutely. Is it a war game? Well, I think many people would tell you it's not. But I'm not here to discuss that, at least yet. What I'm here to do is tell you a little bit about myself and a little bit about this podcast and what I hope to be doing over the next year, uh, 2019. Like I said, history on the table, I've been toying around with this idea of some kind of war game podcast that originally started as this really ambitious goal of taking some kind of battle and and my first thought was always the battle of Antietam and play all these war games that simulate that battle and then do all this research and read all these books and then come up with this great episode that examines and you know talks about the best war games on the battle of Antietam and then give listeners a a historical rundown of the battle, you know, the lead up to the battle, the historical consequences, the outcome, all the events, everything. And then I quickly realized that that's, that's probably biting off more than I can chew. Um, war gaming and board gaming to me is strictly a hobby and a, a podcast about one of my hobbies is just an offshoot of that. And I think dedicating that much uh, mental processing to an offshoot of a hobby is a little too much but i am really passionate about the wargaming hobby and it's really um piqued my interest over the last few years so i felt like i i did want to get in front of the microphone and share my thoughts on these games um on these conflicts and then you know if it comes up uh if i'm reading something noteworthy or interesting of course i'll share my thoughts or if i know something about the battle i'll share my thoughts but i'm not i'm not prepared to do um, some research projects on every episode. Um, so what will this podcast be? Um, cause it's obviously not going to be that. Uh, I think, I think ultimately it's a, it's a review podcast and sure there's a million of those, or at least a million board game podcasts. If there's a million board game review podcasts, then there's probably uh 10,000 war game podcasts, you know, but I'm hoping I can bring something fresh and, uh, new to the podcasting world. And just have a good time um, playing and discussing these war games. And of course, at some point as this develops, I'd really like to turn this into a uh, conversational podcast where it's not just me, or as you may have just short, uh, heard just a little bit ago, uh, my dog groaning in the background. Um, so not only sitting down and hopefully talking with the people who make and develop these wonderful games, 
but I think it can be equally as interesting to sit down with the people who play these games. If you've been around the wargaming hobby for any significant amount of time, I think you very quickly learn that there is a wealth of knowledge and an abundance of very helpful uh, people in this hobby that are fantastic about sharing um, their love of these games. And if you uh, if you ever have a question about a war game, you'd be surprised how how quick it is to get an answer or or some kind of support for that game. And so I think uh, I think there's a lot of knowledge to be learned by uh, those people who have been playing these games for a long time. So as we go forward in 2019, I'd like to sit down every episode and take a look at one or two war games and uh, give you my thoughts and share the stories from those games. I think war gaming war games are fantastic at being able to tell a story, you know, on on so many different levels. Anyone who's played a war game has probably had some nail-biting, highly intense situation that comes down to the wire and that's that's one of the things that I love about this hobby. So I think that's worth exploring. Uh so like I said, we'll sit down, take a look at one or two games, give you my thoughts and and just go from there. But before I start reviewing any games. I thought it would be more helpful in this introduction episode to let you know a little bit about me. A review is so subjective, and I don't think I would be providing much value to a listener about my thoughts on a particular game if they don't know anything about me. And so I thought I'd do a couple things on this on this first episode before I dive, da- dive deep into any of the war games I've been playing, and that's... Uh, one, talk a little bit about myself, my interest in this hobby, the games I like to play, and then just kind of do a 2018 year in review of war games. Talk about what I've been playing over the last year, and then what I'm hoping to play in 2019. So, me. Um, I started playing board games right after I graduated high school. Um I remember my brother brought home this this game called Settlers of Catan, and that's where it really took off from. Um, the, the very first game I purchased was Ticket to Ride, which that family of games still ranks among some of um, my favorite games of all time. I absolutely love Ticket to Ride, um, still do. I don't play the base Ticket to Ride as much anymore, but uh, still love it. Um, and then I kept playing through college and then uh, through law school and all of that, and somewhere along the way... War games piqued my interest. Uh, but before I got there, my brother and I, who uh, dabbled, so we played a little bit of A Few Acres of Snow, a little bit of Twilight Struggle, but that is about as deep as we went, which is like equivalent of just sticking your toe in, uh, you know, to test the water temperature of the pool. And so about three years ago, my brother and I both really started looking at war games and uh, he bought a couple and I bought a couple and it's like, yeah, let's play these. Let's play these. And I'll never forget. It was, uh, it was about two and a half years ago. Um, we, we played a game of twilight struggle. And then shortly thereafter, my brother said, all right, let's play wilderness war. I said, Oh, great. And he said, yeah, it's cause uh, I'll teach it and we'll be able to play, you know, because I think the, the greatest barrier of entry, and this will come as no surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, is of course the rules of of a war game. Um, they're really a different beast than any other kind of board game rules, at least the board games I tend to play. 
Um, so everything sounded great. We go, we meet up at the friendly local game store. We got Wilderness War set up, and he didn't read the rules. Or if he did, he didn't remember much of them. And so it was a real struggle, and it was a real pain in the ass. And then we thought, all right, let's just let's just not worry about it. Let's just play through this play example and try to learn as much as we can. So we did that, and uh, I think we both lied to ourselves and said, oh, wow, that game was amazing. That was outstanding. We should do this some more. Um, but we had no idea what we were talking about because we, we really hadn't played the game yet. So about a week goes by, and, it, and it's my turn to pick a game, and I go with fab uh fast action battle sicily from gmt games uh i think sicily is one of my favorite games to look at in a wargaming scenario i I just think it's a really cool uh scenario to play out there's a lot of different things going on um you know it's it's an island and i I just like that as a war game and hopefully as we go forward we'll take a look at that but we do fast action battle sicily and we only do this intro campaign and then i really um, I did a lot of work to actually understand the rules for that, and I really became impressed with that. My biggest regret is that was two and a half years ago, and I've never revisited a fast action battle game, including fast action battle Sicily, which is too bad because I remember really liking our introduction play of that game. Um, and for those of you that don't know, that's a hex, or I'm excuse me, that is a block game. Um, from GMT, and it's it's supposed to have, I think, the fast action battle. They chose that name because you're supposed to, you know, real quickly get into the, the battle. So we play those games, and I think we dabble in some other things. At some point along the line, we play Sekigahara, which I liked, but then I didn't like because the combat is so abstracted. And, and at some point, I had purchased the U.S. Civil War because, of course... One, I thought, F it, let's go big or go home. And to me at the time, the U.S. Civil War seemed about as large as you could go. Little did I know. And then, two, uh, I was just buying everything because I was super interested in the uh, the hobby, which, um, you know, I'm sure some listeners understand how that works. So, I spent a lot of time uh, researching the rules, getting familiar with the game, Spent a lot of time working on this game to make sure that we can play it. Because I think the biggest hindrance so far has been each other's understanding of the games that we bring to the table. Uh, Because at that point, only one of us would be reading the rules. So I wanted to have this baby down. And we did. And I worked my butt off. And we finally get it to the table about a year after we first played uh, Wilderness War and Fast Action Battle Sicily. So now it's spring in 2017. And I lay this monstrosity down on the table, and it, to this day, that very first play of the U.S. Civil War from GMT Games, is one of my all-time favorite gaming experiences. And at the time, I was not ready to say that the U.S. Civil War is one of my favorite all-time games. Of course, nowadays I am, but uh, I walked away just mind-blown Um so we're doing this introduction game, and everything comes down to one final battle. Um, the Union turn, they have to do an on to Richmond, meaning they have to attack. Basically, they have to make an attack in Virginia. Um, there's probably some other rules with that. I'm forgetting that's not important now. And it more or less comes down to, I think it was probably McClellan. Maybe it wasn't against Lee. Basically, both of our full armies, each of us rolling three dice, 
and it all comes down to this battle. If the Union don't take whatever, maybe it's Harper's Ferry, maybe it's something else. Who knows? Um, if the Union do, don't capture that point, they lose. The game is over, and it all came down to that. And it was such a great story. We wrapped up. We played all day, spent hours and hours with this game, and we almost turned around and played right away. So even after that great experience, though, that was about the end of wargaming uh, for my brother and I. Um, we maybe had played Twilight Struggle after that. I, I don't really remember. Uh, but he kind of lost interest after that. But I think the U.S. Civil War is a large reason why I'm so interested in this hobby now. Because if I was basing my interests off Wilderness War, uh, I don't think I'd, I'd be here today. So, play the U.S. Civil War. I meet some other local war game players. And, uh, or at that time we were just playing board games and I threw out, Hey, you ever want to play the U S civil war? I absolutely love it. And, uh, they said yes. So we played and then that was getting into late 2017, played it again. And then we started dabbling into other things. We played some coin games. I'll go ahead and tell you now coin is not my favorite system. I think the games are wonderfully designed. They're good games. There's too much abstraction in the game. For the time investment, I'd rather play um, something like the U.S. Civil War. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. And so, late 2017, we're playing different games. And that kind of brings us up to 2018. Um, when I really start playing more and more war games. Um, at some point during the year, I start playing Normandy 44... Uh, by Mark Simonich from GMT Games. And of course that leads to Holland 44. Um, and all through this time period of late 2017, probably April 17, whenever, the times don't matter. Basically, the short of this is, in 2016 I start dabbling in war games. Starts out really shitty because neither of us really read the rules. And then we start getting better and better, us being my brother and I. And then my interest really soars. Um, I start seeing the beauty of these games, and I really uh, become interested. So, of course, I buy a lot of games. So now I have all these war games. And by 2018, I really start making a conscious effort to, to start getting them played. And so that brings me to today. Uh, I still play board games. Um, some of my all-time favorite games are Euro games. I would say I have more favorite Euro games than I have favorite war games. Probably because I just haven't played as many war games. Uh, yeah, that's it. So let's talk about 2018. Uh, what I thought I would do is, in no particular order, just kind of go over my highlights of 2018. And these are all big picture things, so I'm not going to review every game I played from 2018. But I, I kind of just thought I'd do, I, I don't know, like a year in review or, or just kind of like five things that uh, really stuck out to me from the wargaming uh, hobby. And then what I kind of thought we'd do is maybe just wrap up the episode with uh, with a top 10 list for 2018. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to see uh, what progress I make on that list from now. And let me add real quick, I keep saying year in review, and the reason I'm thinking why well, I'm having this train of thought is because I'm recording this on New Year's Eve. Uh, everyone else, you will all hear this at some point after New Year's Eve. So that's why I that's why I have this kind of track of all right 2018. The first thing I want to mention is OCS. 
operational combat series from Multiman Publishing and the Gamers. Um, I cannot wait to get more of this system in 2019. It's probably the thing I'm most excited for playing in 2019. I think the only thing that may come close in terms of excitement level right now, if you were to ask me today, would be um, the great campaigns of the Civil War. I have roads to Gettysburg uh, in my pile to play, and that is just about as appealing to me. Uh, that too from Multiman Publishing. But I just got a taste of OCS, uh, Operational Combat Series, with a short play of Tunisia 2. But even as I was reading the rules to this game, I could just tell it was going to be something I enjoyed. It has, to me, from what I can gather so far uh, in one play and watching a little bit of a vassal play one night, this system has the perfect amount of detail. And there's two games going on here, and I really appreciate that. There's the the strategic and, and tactical movement of troops, um, positioning your armies, and all of that. And then there's the crucial game of supply management. I mean, that's the whole point of the Operational Combat series, as far as I know. And that's, you know, moving these supply dumps uh, and supply sources and using that. Because just, you know... A lot of things in that game depend on supply. Uh, your attacks. Um, I mean, you can defend out of supply, but uh, all of those things. And I I just found it all fascinating. I really like the combat resolution in that game. Um, I love the concept of surprise attacks. Basically, before every combat, you, uh, you compare essentially combat effectiveness. I don't remember exactly what it's called of two units. And uh, then you roll for a surprise attack result. I, I love that. The maps uh, are, of course, Dnesic maps, so they, they look great. The rules, I thought OCS was going to be this unattainable beast. I thought it was going to be just way too much uh, for my little ding-dong brain to handle. But I really found the rules approachable. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's digestible. And I think that that's, a really, that's really great for that game. Um, I think OCS is, is a lot more approachable it, or I, I know now it's a lot more approachable than I ever thought it was. So really glad I got the opportunity to play that in 2018, of course. And then like any other, uh, person's person with acquisition disorder, uh, once I got a taste, I had to get a bunch of others. So I think my goal in 2018, I'm reading this great book on, uh, the chosen reservoir. So I want to wrap that book up, and then I want to dig into Korea as uh, as my first solo play of OCS, and hopefully get some vassal games going, uh, because I know there's a chosen reservoir scenario in that um, in that OCS game. And then after that, uh, I like I said earlier, I love uh, I love Sicily games, so of course I have OCS Sicily to look forward to. Smolensk went ahead and grabbed that, and did I get? I want to say I got one more, but it's escaping me, so I must not have. Maybe I'm thinking of Roads to Gettysburg. Roads to Gettysburg, which is what I got at the same time. So, another takeaway from 2018 is how big a Mark Simonich uh, fanboy I am. So, um, if you couldn't gather earlier, I absolutely love the U.S. Civil War. Uh, spoiler alert, it is, as of today, my favorite war game of all time. And depending on the day... Maybe my favorite game of all time, like more than Euro games. 
I loved the game. And then so once I started seeing, you know, other games of his, you know, once I got in this hobby and I started doing research, it's like, oh, he has, he has other games. So I was like, wow, I got I to gotta check this guy out. So I grabbed Normandy 44, uh, Holland 44, and I got to dive in this year. Uh, so I played Normandy 44 for the first time. That was fantastic. Actually had a continuing a va- continuing vassal game of that going on. Probably nearing the end on that. I think we have six turns left, but I think it's just uh, unless the Germans really get offensive and get a strong breakthrough, I think that one's pretty much settled. If you ask me today, I'd probably say Holland 44 was my least favorite game of his, but I honestly think that's because I got my ass stomped um, in the game we played. I, I do a really bad job of defense i think in games like that because the last time i played is the germans in normandy 44 i also got my ass stomped or maybe it's just uh the guy i played those games against is just really really good the more i think about the game i do like it um it's just nothing went right for me in that holland 44 game um, so i want to revisit that and either try to do a better job or plays the americans in and go on the offensive um another great thing i did this year in terms of Mark Simonich games, is we took U.S. Civil War, we made it a four-player game. And I think if everyone's okay with just being patient, it works really well. So how that game works is each side gets a certain amount of activations based on a die roll. And if you roll, if the difference in the die roll is one, you activate the Eastern Theater, the Western Theater, and the Trans-Mississippi Theater. And then if it's a difference of two, you activate a... Um, you get two activations. You're activating uh, a general or group of units in in each of those theaters. Um, And so what we did is, on each side, one player took the Eastern Theater and the other player on on each side took uh, Trans-Mississippi and West. And they shared the hand, but then they had to work together on reinforcements. Um, And that was really interesting because, especially as a Confederate player, the the union is a little more defined on where their their troops has to go but as a confederate player you're basically just limited on the amount that can go in each state so of course the army of virginia yeah you want that as strong as possible because you have lee and uh, stonewall over there so yeah you want to be offensive with them but then you have this vast open area in the western theater and then well trans mississippi's over there i've yet to see it I've seen some people be offensive in, in Missouri, and that's great, but it never really mounts anything. But the Western Theater, you can do some really cool things, and so you want units over there as well. And then, well, shit, we need to protect New Orleans and probably throw some units and some forts on the Mississippi and all of these things. And so it, you already have that internal struggle with the U.S. Civil War playing one-on-one, but then you throw two players, and like, oh, I could really use those reinforcements, and it was just fantastic. Um, so I encourage anyone who's a fan of that game to explore that. We had a really good time. At least I did. I guess I shouldn't speak for everyone. So another standout from 2018. I, I guess I said I want to talk about specific games, but I, I, I kind of want to talk about Commands and Colors, which, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a really approachable, new wargamer-friendly war game. I would say Memoir 44 is, from my experience, the most approachable, the simplest um, Commands and Colors was has a surprising amount of decision-making and variability in the games. Um, and so in 2018, I played Commands and Colors Ancients for the first time, and I think it changed my outlook on memoir. Both, I appreciate the system more, 
and it also made me realize I'm pretty sure Memoir 44 is the inferior game. So my wife loves Memoir 44. I've tried to get her to play other war games with me, uh, but she loves Memoir. So I'm done trying to introduce her to new games because she, she just doesn't like them. She loves playing Euro games with me. I'm really lucky. I'd say about 75% of my board game plays are with my wife. So I'm just going to backtrack and, you know what, count myself lucky that she'll play Memoir with me. But I think I can sell her on Ancients, which I think has just one or two more notches up in terms of difficulty. Or not difficulty, but just that much more going on in the game. Um, the troops feel different. Whereas I know in Memoir, you can get different, like you can get different special troops, but you just put a cardboard chit next to them and it just doesn't feel that different. So I really, I think Command the Colors Ancients gave me a new respect for that series. I'd always liked Memoir, uh, but now I really like that series and I'm really considering getting a copy of Command the Colors Ancients. It's hard. I don't want to stick with all those blocks and it's still a pain in the ass to set those games up. The Vassal modules are fantastic, uh, but I want to support those games. I don't want to freeload. So I'm really considering that. I'm considering the American Revolution one. Um, I want to look more into that. But uh, So here's the Commands and Colors the Ancients in 2019 and uh, exploring that system more. However simple it may be, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can only rack your brain for, for so long. And, you know, it's nice to be able to like, hey, let's fire up a scenario and, uh, yeah, you make important decisions in the game, but you don't really have to, you know, rack your brain against the rules for, for three hours. Shit, I mean, you can probably knock out a game on, on Vassal Commands and Colors Ancients, Ancients faster than it would take you to set, uh, set a game up of Memoir with all those terrain tiles. Anyways, um, so Commands and Colors Ancients and the Commands and Colors family, um, yeah, played a lot, introduced to that and, uh, looking, actually looking forward to more of that. And then in 2018, I played more, I, I, I don't know if this is a highlight or just something I wanted to talk about that I realized in 2018, so I played more tactical games. And this maybe started in 17, I don't know the exact timeline, who cares. Um, but I played Band of Brothers Screaming Eagles, which led me to look at other tactical systems. And it led me to, I kept seeing lock and load games pop-up, which is a tactical level of war games. Um, that's a series out there. And they look fantastic. But the more I play war games, I don't know how much I like tactical, game, tactical games. I think that strategic level, so the level of the U.S. Civil War, is kind of the sweet spot for me. I think I'll lose a little if you go a step up, like Grand Strategic would be something like Cataclysm from GMT Games. I think. Again, I'm no expert in this crap, so if I'm wrong, well, you can just let me know I'm wrong, but I think strategic's kind of my sweet spot. So in 2018, I, I started thinking about tactical games, and I'm trying to determine just how much I like them. Band of Brothers Screaming Eagles, I, I really enjoy, but I go look at Lock and Load, and I just don't know, you know, of course, probably the most famous tactical level game is Advanced Squad Leader. I'm certainly, I don't have an interest in that. I've gone back and forth on it, and I ultimately just decided that not for me. All right, let me let me get back on track here. Okay, so Tactical Game Games in 2018, mainly I played Band of Brothers Screaming Eagles. And then I started to look for something of modern era. 
and didn't really find anything to pique my interest other than lock and load. Well, then I start looking at lock and load, and the rules are like 200 pages. Now, I know there's an older set of rules that are about 60 pages, and everyone says to start there, but I just don't want that level of commitment. But in a trade this year, I got a copy of Old School Tactical, which looks really promising. So what I would like to do next year is really look at those two games and just kind of compare those two tactical systems. Maybe they're really similar. Maybe they're not. I haven't even read the rules to Old School Tactical. Uh, like I said, I received it in a trade. Um, I traded off um, Phantom Leader Deluxe. I There's there's something from 2018 that I... I, I don't think I like I can play a solo game. I don't know if solo games are what I enjoy most. So I've been playing a lot of uh, Gettysburg uh, Battle Hymn Volume One, Gettysburg and P Ridge from Compass Games, and I've been playing that solo, and it solos really well, and I really enjoy it. But like these really advanced or really in depth single solo games, I don't think they're for me. Um, I think if I'm going to put that time investment in, I want to share that experience with other people. Um, so anyways, I I, tra- I shipped that off for Old School Tactical, and what I would like to do in this upcoming year is take a look at those two games. And you know what? Maybe I walk away and then I find out that Lock and Load is exactly what I'm looking for, and I end up with another war game. But for the time being, I'm going to stick with Band of Brothers and Old School Tactical. I have... Um, what is it? Company of Heroes? I'm sorry. It's Conflict of Heroes. Uh, Guadalcanal. Uh, but that's been sitting on my space for a long time. I just... Band of Brothers has this really small rules overhead. And it introduces things to you in chunks. And maybe other tactical games do this. I think Advanced Squad Leader does. Um, but, you know, you start off in Band of Brothers. And you go... You just have infantry. And one weapons team. And really, you're just kind of playing around with line of sight and decoy counters and movement. And then in the next scenario, you have some more weapons teams and you throw in some more advanced terrain. And slowly you start adding things. You know, eventually by like scenario four, you have uh, like half tracks and, um, you know, you'll get mortars and and all that stuff. Uh, But it kind of holds your hands. And even when you add that stuff, there's just not that many rules. I think like the first five pages you read those rules maybe more but then you're ready to go they tell you to stop and start playing i really appreciate that so with that being so simple i haven't been interested in other systems which is why i think conflict of heroes has sat unplayed again maybe i'll get into old school tactical and that will really awaken an interest in tactical games i don't know it's just sat there i think i'll trade it away 2018 in terms of tactical games i think it just kind of at some point this year, I started, like, I had to check myself. Like, before I dove into these crazy-ass systems, like, how much do you like tactical? And if you like it that much, do I already have the answer? It being Band of Brothers. And so now in 2019, maybe that question is, well, now do I have, like, which one's better? And maybe I'm not as fired up about it because maybe Band of Brothers isn't as good as I think it is. I don't know. I enjoy my plays. It tells a really great story. You know, that moment, you know, a machine gun pops out of a, a window and flips over that concealment counter and just opens up on your guys out in the open. It's uh, it's pretty awesome and exciting when it happens. Um, so anyways, that was kind of 
way too much time about tactical games than I wanted to spend, but I think it's interesting just because it's something I want to explore. And if there was something that was modern era that is low rules overhead, I would like to know more about it. So I know that Flying Pig Games has that new um, Apocalypse War, and that looks pretty awesome, but I'm kind of waiting to see how much I like old school tactical before I take the plunge on Apocalypse War. Um, so maybe that's the modern era game I'm looking for. Anyways, we'll see. 2019, we'll have the tactical answers I'm looking for, maybe. Okay, and the last thing I want to talk about for 2018, I've kind of gone on longer than I wanted, but that's not surprising at all, I guess, uh, is coin. So here's my deal with coin. I recognize coin games as fantastic games. I just don't think they're for me. I like a little bit more detail in my combat. Um, I think there's too much abstraction going on. I'm not wild about the idea of, well, it's almost a two versus two game. But then you get you get at the end of the game and someone's winning and it's, oh, well, now all of us have to work together to stop that guy no matter what. Even if it means I'm the NBA and the U.S. and Arvin, we have to do everything we can to stop the Viet Cong. It'd be better to let the U.S. player gain a lot of stuff or whatever just to stop the VC player. I get why it happens, and I, I, it makes perfect sense why players do that. I don't think that's the player's fault, but the game encourages that. And I think that drives me a little nuts. But what I realized in 2018, if you would ask me in spring, I probably would have poo-pooed the whole system. Um, uh, subjectively. Again, fantastic games, just not for me. So put the pitchforks away. I, I really am not criticizing the game. I think just I'm thinking, speaking from a subjective point of view. For the time investment, I'd rather play something else. Something more conflict-based. Also, there's a lot of downtime for the, the three players. But I, I don't know how you alleviate that, because there's always downtime in war games. But lately, I've gotten in two plays of Fire in the Lake second edition and i've got to say even with probably the of what i've played the second most abstracted out combat the other one being cuba libre so i play cuba libre fire in the lake now the revolutionary war one pin dragon and falling sky um liberty or death is the revolutionary war one even with the one of the more abstracted combat resolution you just compare pieces right every one gets rid of two or or something like that i've got to say that fire in the lake may be my favorite coin game do i like the system no probably not but it's encouraging me to maybe go back and explore those other games i still don't like kuba libre at all i i think i have it rated on a four uh using board game geeks like suggested ratings i really found that game boring i have no interest at all in going back and playing kuba libre I would like to go back and play Liberty or Death, Falling Sky, and Pendragon, though. And I, I owe that to Fire in the Lake and having two really good plays of that. And maybe I have more attachment just because I know more. Well, I used to like, if you would have asked me before I played Fire in the Lake, maybe Liberty or Death was my favorite. Maybe because of the... Yeah, but then I the more I think about it, the more I don't. Anyways, I think 
one of the thing that's most interesting about fire in the lake is I feel the most involved in my decisions. Um, like I'm doing this for a reason and I don't really feel much of a connection between the decisions I made in the other games. So my coin opinion in 2018 has been like a roller coaster ride up and down, up and down. Well, more it's like down, down, down. Now we're going back up on coin because of fire in the lake. And I guess my whole point of this rant or spiel or whatever this is, is I'm open to giving it another go. Those other games, another go. And I probably wouldn't turn down a play of fire in the lake. Um, although now that I've played twice in the last couple months, I, I like need to step away. So it's, it's obviously a system I can get burnt out on pretty quick, but anyways, uh, props to fire in the lake and what Mark Herman and those guys have done, uh, with that game, because uh, in my opinion, it's easily the, uh, the best one. And that's, uh, I guess really that's all I have to say about coin. Um, but that was all in 2018. Um, I think, you know, when I was talking about my brother and I early on in the episode, I think Cuba Libre is one of those games him and I played and he really like got super into it. And he's like, Oh, coin is coins. The best coins. Great. And then I think he kind of died out on it. Well, because I think anyone who tells you they enjoy Cuba Libre is lying to themselves. I'm just kidding. Everyone's allowed to have their own thoughts. I'm sure if it's your cup of tea that Cuba Libre is a good game. It is just not my cup of tea. Okay. So that's 2018. Those are kind of the thoughts on the games I played. I played some other stuff, some stuff I really want to revisit. Uh, played a couple games of Cataclysm. I think that's an interesting game. I got just a taste of Festoing Europa from Compass Games. Um, my wife played one turn with, uh, with me before she threw in the towel. And man, that game has some super tough decisions. I'd, I'd really like to get a full game of that going. And yeah, I would. So uh, I would like to revisit both of those things. I'm kind of curious at how good a game Cataclysm will be once you once you played a few times. Let's talk about 2019 before we wrap up with a, with a brief top 10 list. Um, so in 2019, I, I've kind of alluded to this. You know, what am I looking forward to playing? OCS. That's that's the number one thing I'm looking forward to playing most. Um, I've been I've been playing around with uh, Battle Him. Definitely going to be playing that uh, more in 2019, both solo and hopefully one on one. I think I'll actually do a review of that game. I think it's a really nice system that's just a step or two above the commands and colors in terms of complexity. I think if the rules were cleaned up a little bit. You could almost say it was newcomer friendly. I mean, I'm sure it's newcomer friendly if someone really wanted to. I mean, any game could be. So I want to spend some more time with that. I think it's a game worth exploring and discussing in more detail. And then I have some ancient stuff that I'd really like to explore in 2019. Pax Romana, Genesis, Carthage. Genesis and Pax Romana obviously coming from the same system. And then, of course, Carth- Carthage was uh, designed by Richard Berg as well. Um, I've been watching uh, a Vassal game in that. I, I think I've dropped in twice. And there's just so much going on, but I really want to learn that game uh, because it just looks uh, fascinating. Uh, and then, of course, the U.S. Civil War. I'd really like to get another play into that, probably as many as I can, over the next year. Um, 
And I think that's a good way to transition into my top tens list because I've already mentioned that uh, the U.S. Civil War is one of my all-time favorite games. Um, and so, like I said, what I'd like to do is go over my top ten games of all time as of right now, December 31st, 2018. And then hopefully um, this thing is still going in a year. And we can see how that's shifted over over the year. Because I constantly futz around with this stupid list. I really like ranking and rating my games. So I find myself constantly adjusting and fidgeting with those numbers. And I do that on a fairly frequent basis. So this list is, is current. This is a good representation of if you ask me today what my top 10 games of all time were. And then, so let's see, uh, let's see if any more war games can crack that list next year. Uh, I'm really hoping so. I think OCS is the strongest contender. The only reason I'm not putting on this list now is because I've only played for about four and a half hours, and I think that's not fair to the to the other games that I know and love. I mean, well, shit, it's my list. I guess I could do whatever I want with it, but like I've only scratched the surface, and there's still so much to explore in that game, and. So I think that is the strongest contender of cracking the top 10 list. We'll see. We'll see what 2019 holds. Okay, let's start at number 10, uh, because what kind of monster would start at number one? Not me. Uh, and that's got to be Lahav from Uwe Rosenberg. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about these games. There's nothing on this list that people won't know about. You know, there's like no hidden gems. So Lahav is uh, not my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game, but I do think it's the crunchiest. And sometimes I love that in games, and sometimes I don't. And Lahav is always this: you can, you really need to plan out your turns. And uh, I think it's executed uh, to perfection here. The game is mechanically super simple, right? Um, you either take the offering or you move your disc to carry out a building right so like you can move your disc to the buy building to buy a building or, or, or whatever or you can collect resources um and that's it those are the two things you can do but the decisions that you have to make are excruciating and that's why i love lahav um haven't played it as much as i'd like to let's see it may be my least played on this top 10 no i think number eight will be my least played um but fantastic game. I said I wasn't going to spend too much time on these. So let's go on to uh, number nine. Number nine is my favorite Ticket to Ride collection. And it is Ticket to Ride UK and Pennsylvania. I think the caveat here is Pennsylvania. UK is fine. It's great. Whatever. We just always play Pennsylvania. And I think the reason this makes this top 10 is because it's the base, it's essential, it's ticket to ride, and then you throw in this stock element, super simple stock element. It's just as you build a route, you can collect stock in different railroad companies, and whoever has the most stock in that company gets the most amount of points. Each company is worth different amounts. But it adds just that one layer makes this one of my favorite games. Super simple. This isn't some mind-bending, excruciating, super crunchy game. It's just fun, and we play it all the time with my wife and her family. And uh, because of that, it, it makes it into the top ten. Uh, super great entry. If you want just a little bit more out of your Ticket to Ride game, I highly recommend it. Next up is Manhattan Project Energy Empire at number eight. 
this is a really neat game. It's uh, between it and Lahav, those are my two least played on this list. Um, Manhattan Project Energy Empire. You have dice for resources that you can roll, and it's it's worker placement, but it's escalating worker placement. And so if the other player lays down one worker to take an action, you can go to that spot, but it takes you to commit um, more. So you could play a worker and one energy. That would be two. You would have a stack of two things. You can go to that action. Great game, though. And I need to play it more. Which I'm realizing as I sit here and talk about this. Great worker placement game. I love the theme. You're playing as these countries and, like, uh, everything you do... Not everything. A lot of things you do, like, pollute your your country. And that's part of the game is you're balancing, like, the pollution effect, which will get you points, versus building, like, uh, this super great technology. But, like, oh, yeah, you're... You're nuking your oceans or whatever. And it's great. Highly recommend it. Okay, my favorite card game of all time comes in at number seven. Not my most played card game. That goes to Spades. Spades probably just misses his top ten list. I probably play it every other week uh, on average. As long as we're seeing my in-laws, we probably play Spades. But um, this list is not about Spades. This is about number seven, which is Arboretum, which is back in print. Um, I just gave it out as Christmas gifts this year, actually. Fantastic game. Uh, it's another game where mechanically it's simple. You lay down a card and you draw a card. But the rules of scoring make this game excruciating. Um, you're both able to play defensively and offensively. Uh, you can mess with other people's scoring by, let's say, your opponent is laying down oak trees. If you have more oak trees in your hand than they have in their hand, we're not talking about what they laid down, you will you will be the individual who scores oak trees. Um, and scoring is based off how you lay out their trees and you make these paths in ascending order. You, you, it, it would make sense if you see it. But then there's these rules of, well, if you have the eight, the one cancels out the eight. And it's just, it's so simple, yet so excruciatingly brilliant. I highly recommend it. For under 20 bucks, I mean, other than a, a deck of cards, it's hard to think of a smaller game that offers so much um, in one box. So I highly recommend Arboretum. Number six is Viticulture. If you asked me a year ago, Viticulture would have been my number one game of all time. I've just been playing different things. Um, Viticulture is a worker placement game. It's a great theme of making wine. My wife and I played it a ton. We played it wrong for the first 20 times we played it, but um, we fixed that. Still love the game. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a huge error. Probably just made our games a little bit easier, and it's not important. But uh, Viticulture comes in at number six. Number five is the only game from last year that's new to me. Yeah, I played Guy Project in 2018 for the first time. That comes in at number five. Okay, so like Lahav, mechanically more in-depth, you have a lot more decisions to make or options that you can make on your turn, but it's just as crunchy. I love, again, sometimes I like this in a game, sometimes I don't, but with Gaia Project, I can sit down and I can look at the board and I can see what's going to be scored. 
And as other people take their turn, I can say, okay, if I do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, all during this round, and if I do it perfectly just like that, I will get the points I want to get. But then, but then there's all these things that like really entice you like, Oh dang. Or if I get a bunch of research points, I can, I can unlock these new technologies or, um, like, Oh man, if I just, you know, progress in this other direction, which is just as enticing, I can do these cool things. And then you start to math out, math out those paths and you're like, well, is that as good as this? And it's just a great game. Um, Terramiska, for whatever reason, I have no idea why. Never gave me the same reaction. Maybe because I only played Terramiska as a two-player game. And I've been able to play this as more. But I loved it. Really wanted it for Christmas. Did not get it for Christmas, but I got a gift card. So I went out and got it. And I, I got home and I told my wife, I said, Cat, we're, here it is. Here's Gaia Project. I've told you about this game. It's going to be great. Let's play it. And she played it and she liked it. And she said, I don't think I'd want to play that very often. Which I get, but it was a little heartbreaking. But on my birthdays, I have something to look forward to. That's kind of sad. Okay, uh, number four, not my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game, but close. That's Feast for Odin. Feast for Odin is probably the easiest Uwe Rosenberg game uh, out of his big ones, at least the ones I've played. So I'm talking Fields of Arl, Feast for Odin, Lahav, Agricola, and Caverna. I think Feast for Odin is the easiest. It also, I think, gives you the most options to explore. And I don't I don't think every option's viable, but it sure feels like they are, and it sure heck is a lot of fun. Um, I really it's just worker placement and it's got a little bit of tile placement. Um, you know, like you have like a mini patchwork-esque board to unlock new resources. I love it. I love the theme. It's great. Number three, Great Western Trail. And this is without even playing the expansion. Went out and bought the expansion as soon as it came out. And then uh, my wife and I were like, oh, let's just play it one more time without, just so we're fresh on the rules. And then we're like, oh, let's just go ahead and play it again. We'll, we'll throw in the expansion. I love this game. Um, I like that there's so many different uh, paths to explore. When it first came out, I thought it would lose its fun really quick. I was like, well, how how much fun can it be to do this? several times i mean like yeah the game will be good once but there's not going to be that much variable between your plays boy was i wrong i love exploring you know all right what if i just buy cowboys okay what if i buy cowboys and conductors and then oh what if i build some buildings and i really like that neat theme i know it's just cowboys and like just buying cattle whatever i love it it's great and it comes in at number three Okay, so the only war game, this is a war game podcast, and the only war game making this list in 2018, yeah, is is it number one, or is my next game number one? I, I don't know, but how I ranked it today, the U.S. Civil War comes in at number two, and this brings up an important part. There's not a whole lot of difference between one and six, so whatever's about to be one, U.S. Civil War, Great Western Trail, Feast for Odin, Gaia Project, Viticulture, I have those all as tens. 7 through 10 are, you know, right there along with it. And then there's probably several games that could have made this list. Um, but these are all pretty strong staples of, of 10, of the top 10 for me. Um, and I guess my point is there's not a whole lot of difference between these. And there's really not much difference between the top six. So U.S. Civil War comes in at number two. I've already, and a large part of that is it delivers 
some of the best gaming experiences I have ever had. I've played it several times now. It's my number two game of all time. It's my favorite war game. And I have yet to implement the advanced rules. I haven't felt the need to. I felt like there's still enough to explore with the base rules that I, I haven't wanted to have to worry about the advanced rules. So I can't even imagine, like, you got to think I'll like it even more as soon as I start adding in, like, ironclads and stuff like that. Um, so it's a game I still get really excited about, obviously. And I just love it. And maybe it should be my number one. We'll see. Number one, right now, as I made this list, before I started arguing with myself, is Fields of Arl. So this is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. Just the satisfaction of, there's so many, this is a real sandbox game. Um, you can focus on so many different things, just like in Feast for Odin. But I think the reason I like Fields of Arl just that much more is I love the finished product of what you've built on your little farmstead at the end of the game. And sure, you're just laying down building tiles or adding more cows or, or, or whatever it is you're doing, whatever path you're exploring. But I, I just like looking at that picture and you, you slowly progress your land size and then you're adding in whatever building you choose to add. And then you have all these uh, wagons you've added. And I just... The, the amount of decisions that are open to you, um, you know, it still has the responsibility of the feeding requirements of UA games, but they're not super punishing by any means. Not not nearly as bad as Agricola or Lahav. Uh, but they're there, so it keeps you in check. But then you have, just the decisions are fun. And uh, I absolutely love this game. So the bad news is when the expansion came out, I was super busy with other things in life and I wasn't playing a lot of board games. I figured, oh, I'll ask for it for Christmas. I, I don't have time to play it right now anyways. And of course, the Christmas season rolls around this year and, uh, well, can't find a copy of the expansion that easily. Of course, maybe it's on Amazon. But like, I can't find it locally and I don't think Cool Stuff Inc. had it in stock. So it's my favorite game of all time and I'm kicking myself because I did not buy the expansion. All right, so there it is. There's the top 10 list. I will run through it again. So, number 10 was Lahav. Number 9 was Ticket to Ride, Volume 5. That's United Kingdom and Pennsylvania. The caveat being Pennsylvania is our favorite one. Number 8 is Manhattan Project Energy Empire. 7 was Arboretum. 6 was Viticulture Essential Edition. 5 was Gaia Project. 4 was A Feast for Odin. 3 was Great Western Trail. Two was the U.S. Civil War from GMT Games. And number one was Fields of Arl. Okay, so we've been going on for about an hour now. I think that's a solid uh, first episode. And I hope to, uh, to be back to you soon with the first real episode. I really don't expect my each of my episodes to be this long, especially if I'm only reviewing one game. And like I said, I think I'll be taking a look at Battle Hymn, but that may change. So I don't want to promise that, but I really do think Battle Him uh, Gettysburg, in particular, the Gettysburg scenarios, maybe the first game I take a look at, and I may throw a second game in there as well, and we'll go from there. Okay, so if you have any questions or comments about this episode or uh, anything about this podcast in general, you can find us on the web at historytablepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's historytablepodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at historytablepod. Again, that's at History Table Pod.
All right, that'll bring this episode to a wrap. Hope everyone's 2019 is off to a great start, and I'll look forward to talking with all of you again. Bye.